This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 14, Episode 3. I'm your host, Ian, and I have with me... This is Steph. Sadly, Theo could not be with us. He is working hard on schoolwork. We wish him the best, and we also hope that he stays healthy in this time of sickness, whether it be winter or any other kind of sickness. Uh, I hope that all you listeners are also staying healthy, get your rest and your fluids and all that good stuff. Your Batman comics. Definitely get your Batman comics. Batman punches germs in the face. <laughs> I was going to say he's good for mental health or something. Also that, but punching germs in the face is funny, so I went with that. <laughs> All right, so uh, we don't have a lot of news today. Um, they did drop uh, early solicitations for the last section of Shadow War, including Shadow War Zone. They're introducing a new character. There's going to be like a mastermind behind the quote-unquote death of Raz. Some people are theorizing that Roz is actually behind his own death and he's not actually dead, which maybe makes Steph happy because that means Daddy Roz is no, not dead. No, no. Roz isn't my favorite. I'm just, you know, glad he doesn't suck right now. <laughs> but maybe he does. Yeah, no, that's, see, that's always a possibility with Roz. That's the problem with villains. Yeah. Um, they also talked about, uh, I think they released the news that the summer crossover that, like, Shadow War and the Justice League Incarnate and all this other stuff is leading to is going to be called Dark Crisis, which after Death Metal and Metal, it just, I don't know. That seems really uninspired, but I, I should point out, I don't like events. I don't like crises. I have only read like two of the crises, and I only did that because, let's see, wait, maybe I've only, no, I have read two of the crises. So I've read Metal and Death Metal, and I've read Convergence but I have not well, read you, any other crises. In the last 12 months, we've had Future State, then Fear State, then Shadow of the Bat, and then Shadow War. So if you went for uninspired and unoriginal <laughs> naming conventions, Disney, or Disney, wow. Yeah, DC's got that covered. You are 100% correct. Uh, I mean, this is the company that did Infinite Crisis and Identity Crisis within like a year of each other. <laughs> That doesn't make it confusing at all to have two mm -hmm. IF uh, acronym events in the same year. With the name Crisis. Yeah. 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 And one of them is not even a crisis, so it's... Anyway. anyway. Um, so that's what's going on. There's a bunch of The Batman stuff going on. Check out The Batman Podcast um, with Dustin and his uh, intrepid co-host for some good updates on that. I'm, I'm getting really excited about this movie. What about you, Steph? Um... I am more excited. They were really kind of ramping up how yucky it was at first with, like, the creepy Riddler and creepy notes and blah. And was not interested. But then they started hyping up the Catwoman stuff. And I was, now I'm definitely more interested. Not necessarily because romance. You know, always romance. Always but, um, romance. What are you talking about, Steph? <laughs> always romance. But I don't like it when it's all... Bleh. Whatever the adjective for that is. I'm not I sure like, what that means. <laughs> I like human Bruce. I like... I like oh, I see what you're saying. Like, all yeah. the interviews with Robert Pattinson where he's like, Oh, Batman's a freak. I love playing freaks. <laughs> no, not necessarily that. But just the trailers didn't get me inspired for a Bruce Wayne Batman. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Like, a human Bruce Wayne Batman. Sure, sure. Like, I did really much appreciate how much Christian Bale was, like not Batman <laughs> in in the Nolan trilogy. So um, I am maybe looking forward to that a little bit as well. I mean, I personally liked how Ben Affleck was out of the cowl too. You know, he had that. Oh yeah, no, me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was like, he's like, he's your mom's Bruce Wayne. He's like a little bit older. <laughs> at one point, at some point in, a, in the next 10 years, he'll probably be my Batman too. <laughs> We're getting old. 
What is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know you're old when old people are your age. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's weird being older than a lot of the actors who are in stuff now. I know, um, yeah. It's bad. I, I'm actually, that reminds me, I'm, I'm very curious um, to see what uh, Michael Keaton does as Batman again, you know, as the old yes. Batman in The Flash. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, and there's going to be a comic about it, too. That'll be really cool. Did we talk about the, the CW comics last time? Not the comics, no. Because Batwoman is going to get a tie-in comic, which is oh. cool. And it's going to be by like some of the show writers, so it actually have some connection to what the show does, which is cool. If, if you like the show. <laughs> I don't like the show, so I'm not actually excited, but for those who do like the show, I think it's a cool thing. Like, I don't have to like it to think that it's That's cool true. that they're doing it, you know? That's true. I actually, so I started and read a few of the Ruby crossovers, and they were cute. And I, you know, I, I used to love Ruby, so that, yeah, it's definitely one of those. If you're into it, it's fun for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like it when DC provides that kind of thing, even if it's not, I mean, I have stuff that I like that a lot of people don't like uh, that we'll probably talk about on this cast. Um, <laughs> I wonder what it could I be. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. But speaking of things that I think we're all going to have a good time doing, let's get to our reviews, starting with Detective Comics 1051. Written by Mariko Tamaki. Art by Max Rayner. This story begins months ago as a plane lands in Keystone County Airport, carrying an unexpected package, Psycho Pirate. The flight crew is unaware of his presence as he fogs their minds of him being there. After the plane lands, he takes off to the only place he'd feel safe, the home of his best friend, Tobias Ware. There, he tells his friends of those looking for him. Uh, This apparently is a reference to uh, Darkseid in the crossover events that Josh Williamson's been writing. Ware tells his friend of his plan to con the mayor of Gotham City to get millions of dollars. He just needs to know that Psycho Pirate still has mental abilities. It's the present, and in the underground HQ, the Bat family is discussing the uptick of the drug numb on the streets. They need to find the Party Crashers gang hideout to shut it down. Babs hands Nightwing a device to use for access files when he begins his next undercover shift at Arkham Tower. Elsewhere, in a different underground hideout, the Party Crashers are not happy with Dr. Ware. They demand an explanation as to why half of their shipments of numb consist of salt pills and are unusable. The conman psychiatrist tells him that he will take care of it. As he drives off from the party crashers, Ware gets a phone call. It's the penguin, and the penguin isn't happy. Half of the numb shipments promised him was ineffective. Ware has 24 hours to fix this problem, or else. It's day 18, seven days, uh, six days before the final breakdown that we saw in the beginning of the series, and Dr. Meridian is in a session with Siphon, who is having visions of himself performing violent acts in a movie. As the session ends, Dr. Meridian gets a call from Dr. Ware. He's about to see the report she needs to submit to Mayor Nakano to secure the funding for the Tower Project. Meridian insists that this won't happen before she has a chance to meet Dr. Ocean. Ware hangs up the phone in disgust. He contacts the mayor's office and invites Nakano over to the tower for an hour. Ware heads to Dr. Ocean's office where he talks to Psycho Pirate into manipulating Nakano into agreeing to release the funding. Psycho Pirate warns his friend of the risk to trying to implant so many different messages into the minds of so many people. Ware has confidence in his friend, but tells him not to mess up. As the mayor arrives, Psycho Pirate goes to work on manipulating the naive mayor's mind. The manipulation works. Nakano agrees to release the funding in a few days. Day 19. Psycho Pirate is struggling with control of the patients. He solely loses consciousness before passing out on the floor. Suddenly, Siphon awakens and stabs a guard with a spoon. Alarms blare and inmates' rooms are locked. Nightwing jumps into action. Before Nightwing can report back to Oracle, he's slammed in the back of the head. It's Anna Vulsion. She remembers him. Dr. Meridian is meeting with Helena as the alarms go off. Helena tells the doctor to contact Dr. Frau, a.k.a. Batwoman, and tell her what's happening. She storms out of the office when she runs into an approaching Nero XIX, who is looking for the doctor. They battle before Helena gets the upper hand, taking out the would-be murderer. She looks at her hands and takes off. She has to remember this event. 
Ware charges into Ocean's office where he finds Psycho Pirate struggling to get up. He grabs the Medusa mask, places it on Psycho Pirate, and orders him to regain control. Sleep. Forget. Everyone in the tower falls to the ground. So, first question. Do you like the chance to see the story in this time frame from Psycho Pirate's point of view and really dig into the details of the plan and what they're hoping to achieve? I think so. I mean... I like seeing things from others' perspectives coming at the story. I mean, if we're going to play jump around with the timeline, then other perspectives make sense, too. And getting just a better feel for who he is and why he deserves to have his finger chopped off? I don't know. Um, well, that's Dr. Ware. I'm talking more about Psycho Pirate. Oh, well, whatever. It's kind of the same. I don't think Psycho Pirate's going to die. Maybe he will. No, I enjoy I enjoy the different... Uh, look at things and kind of how, you know, they thought they'd get away with it because they always think they'll get away with it. <laughs> uh, but I did think, I did I did appreciate it better just from the Ware perspective. This definitely confirms Ware is a con artist. Um, you guys were right. Uh, and, and that it's more of a, a short, long game. It's only supposed to take a month. It seems like it's taking a little longer. Well, but, 24 days, that's not a full month. Well, did they get started as soon as the tower opened? I don't know. That's a good it question. It feels like there, there was probably some groundwork that got started first. but Quite possibly. Yeah, I guess I, I appreciate it. I like the different viewpoint. It didn't completely retell the story. Like, it, it, like the last few moments of this... No, the last few moments of this one are repeated in the next issue. Right, that's a oh. question I have for the next issue. Oh, sorry, I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> and now but... who's doing the thing? Well, if we're talking about repeat, I just didn't think that that much repeated. Um, right. Uh, from, but, I mean, this is one. this is a flashback. This is going backwards in time, even though I wouldn't say it's necessarily repeating. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, no. did that bother you or did... Oh, no, I love that. That's 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 one of my favorite types of storytelling is, is slowly uh, peeling back the layers, even if it means going back in time. I love that. I really liked it. I don't know a ton about Psycho Pirate because, as I mentioned, I've never read Crisis on Infinite Earths. The only real exposure I've had to Psycho Pirate is actually Tom King's run because, you know, Tom King mm -hmm. used Psycho Pirate a fair amount in his whole run. Um, but he wasn't really a character so much as a plot device, I would argue, in yeah. Tom King's run. Yeah. Here he's a character. Like, you get a sense of, you know, who he is. Um, and I actually, it was kind of fun going backwards. I, I did some reading of Joker Last Laugh because um, the DC Universe Infinite Forums are doing some rereads of that. And Psycho Pirate's one of the prisoners in the slab. And it was, it was just kind of fun going back once you've seen someone in a different context and enjoying that material in a new way. So I, I really liked it. I think it's cool to see things from... Uh, the villain's perspective, as long as it's not too gross. So, like, oh, yeah. if it were from, like, Zaz's perspective, or even Anna Volsian's perspective, they're just, like, animalistic murderers. I wouldn't really yeah. want to spend this much time. But, you know, these guys are con artists. They can get violent, but they're more, like, manipulative and scheming. And that can be fun to read about. Yeah. Alright, so, how does the pacing of this story feel to you? Do you feel like it's moving along, or do you feel like you're kind of wavering on interest? I would say n neither. <laughs> it's definitely, like, I think I said either last week or two weeks ago, this story is really chewing on the story. And the characters. And the characters, and I love that. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't mind a story being interrupted a hundred times to tell me something that happened in the past or tell me more about a character, as long as it's interesting. Especially since this is, I mean, if this is in fact just diehard the... The Batman comes. <laughs> There's not much to the actual story. So having interesting characters and multiple layers and mm, facets that you're, or at least not even facets, but just different characters' actions that we're going to just take our time and look at and digest. I mean, that's fine. I love that. Like, Nakano's wife finally got featured, and even though it was just a tiny thing, it's not ever going to be a major plot point. You know, we truly get that Nakano wants this to work. He wants to be fooled almost so that there's hope for his wifey. Yeah. I I am I really like what's going on with the characters, but it does make me really anxious because we know that it's a lie. We know that this yeah. cure and these treatments are just psycho pirate making people feel good. It's not actually changing anything so that they can live without his influence. It's basically addicting them in some ways to his mind powers. And so I'm really concerned about Mira Nakano's wife and especially Huntress, because you know Huntress 
is one of my favorite characters, and I really would love her to be heroic again. And we get a scent, uh, we get a chance to see that again here, but she's still so tormented by those parasite visions that I hope there's some way to to help her uh, live with that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that we know it's all a con does make me very anxious about what happens in the end of the story, which, you know, is good because you want to have questions that the story will have to you know surprise you with because like we all know that there's going to be uh the failure that psycho pirate's going to fail and everyone's going to go crazy and they're going to kill dr ware and there's just going to be dieharding and the bat family's just going to have to like go from room to room from floor to floor beating down bad guys and subduing them and saving everyone inside right i mean we know that's going to happen so the emotional stakes of well how are they going to deal with the fact that people were here for a good reason and how is that going to be resolved Ah, uh, that's well, what also- Sorry, go ahead. I mean, I was just saying, that's what I'm invested in. Well, and so people like Huntress don't have their own book. If DC decided to either kill them off or take them off the table for a while for mental health reasons, like, that's no skin off their nose, really. So it I mean, is Huntress kind of just a, got taken off the shelf. I mean, she was on the yeah. shelf for about two years. So, so the stakes that they're playing with are high and real. Because, one, there's a lot of people in here that we don't know, and if they die, it doesn't matter. Um, oh, by the way, isn't that Nero the 19th? Is that how that works? Uh, I think it is. I know Stella would know because she's a Latin teacher, but I... Right. No, I know It's been 25 years since I did Latin, so... Roman numerals that uh, I'm pretty sure that's Ro- Nero the, the 19th. Yeah, um, I think that oh, makes yeah. sense. I just couldn't... While I was reading, I couldn't think of the, uh, the actual right, number. You. But, uh, yeah, these are, you know, Psycho Pirate, I mean, like you said, he's, he's escaping from what's-his-butt. We Dark haven't seen side. him forever. Yeah, like, if something horrible happens to him, no skin off, no one cares. Uh, especially especially. <laughs> I'm Ed. sure some people care, but not us. No, that's too much. Uh, and then we got, you know, our fake Harley. And the, so, but there are enough people in here with enough small things at stake that, you know, we, we do care. And it is, it is intense. Do the Bat family feel like they are competent detectives and crime fighters since they are struggling to figure out what we as readers already know? Or does this work feel plausible and enjoyable to you as a reader? Oh, I think it's totally possible. I was actually thinking how cool it is. It's like, it's, you know, in some things, in some storytellings, whatever, Meridian's phone call wouldn't have gone through or they've been too stupid to understand what Meridian's phone call meant or, or something like that. I think... Enough stuff and clues are being dropped that they're picking up on that I, I'm content. Maybe they could be a little smarter, but, you know, I'm. this isn't bad. Yeah, I got that impression, too. I got the sense that given what they are able to know, yeah. they're doing pretty well. They're, they're following up the leads they have. They're trying. They're making intuitive leaps that they need to make, but they're not omniscient. Like, I have a problem with a lot of readers who talk about Oracle or Cassandra Kane or Superman. Like, they, they only want threats that they can beat like Cassandra Cain should always win every fight. And anytime she struggles with any fight, that's out of character. Same thing with Oracle. Every time that she is, you know, struggling with a piece of technology or something that's out of character, she should be able to easily beat everyone who's on a technical. I'm like, well, at that point, I'm not really enjoying the story. It, It feels like all the, all the threats they're facing are, are dull. Yeah. But yeah, I think that, seeing so far we've seen batwoman nightwing oracle and the two batgirls and all of them i think are are doing some fun stuff um in this issue pretty much only oracle nightwing and batwoman actually do things but there's more to come of course um and last question how cool is huntress's fight scene oh my goodness (laughs) she's very cool when she hops up on the wall and then comes down in a punch that was awesome i was like oh so good max rayner did a great job with the fight choreography i think all right so let's move on to our backup summary i feel like i had a question no i did have a question hold on hold on i do so penguin is angry because he's getting half of a half of a load the clown people are upset because they're getting half of a load um and i can't help but notice that psycho pirate is surrounded by pills like Enough that I would think that would also impair the shipment. Is he? I think those are different drugs. I think that he's taking like stimulator, stimulation pills, like caffeine or other concentrated stimulants, maybe even methamphetamines. And numb is more of a a depressant. It's more of a, like a heroin. I don't know. 
What's a depressant drug? Like marijuana looked, or something. I thought the tablets looked exactly the same. No, it is oh, maybe possible. Maybe you don't. Hold on, maybe you just don't see them. And I guess those are just generic pill capsule bottles. That is his models, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. I just think I he's just... mainlining energy drinks and caffeine pills, and it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> trying to he stay. He would be dead. I mean, he's he's basically doing what Riddler did when he was spiny Riddler. <laughs> I have not slept for eighteen days. <laughs> um. So our backup, House of Gotham, Chapter Five, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Fernando Blanco. It's a very special day at Arkham Asylum. The boy has been given a clean bill of health and is now about to be adopted by the unlikeliest of characters, the Penguin, who's sitting in the limo with Elliot, a kid from a few issues ago. The Penguin takes the boy to the Iceborg Lounge and shows him the way of the place. Since the club doesn't open for a few more hours, the Penguin gives the boy an advance of his pay and tells him to go have some fun. After eating some ice cream and feeding the squirrels, the boy realizes it's time for him to head back. As he walks through the alley, he finds himself cornered by someone looking to be paid in order to pass by. This would-be criminal is confronted by the penguin, however, who forces him to apologize to the boy. As the man kisses the boy's feet, the penguin gives the boy a chance, live or die. The boy asks the man be let go. The penguin kills the man by breaking his neck. We don't always get what we want, says the penguin. Um, how do you feel about this penguin and boy relationship? This is kind of a new thing. I mean... Actually, no. I mean, it's very parallel to the way we had uh, Scarecrow. I mean, there's a lot of parallels in the way he's writing this it story. Is. How do you like that? And and even Bruce kind of semi-wanted to, if not adopt him, at least take care of him. Yes. Um, I don't know. Like, in a weird way, I kind of liked it. I mean, I guess it's trafficking children, and that's not a good thing. But it was kind of cool that, that he's... As evil as he is, he's still kind of giving them, like, agency over themselves and giving them money. And, of course, they're children, and right now they need care and not that. But I just, I don't know. It seemed very conniving and evil, but not in a way that the people who are being eviled to fully understand. I don't know. It was weird. I'm sure in Penguin's mind he's trying to be a good guardian and giving this boy the tools he needs, you know? That's true. The fact that he's an evil murderer <laughs> does. Yeah, yeah. Do you like the this perspective of Gotham we're getting from the boys' perspective? I think so. I mean, it's like kind of we were saying we don't. We're getting the the um, villains' point of view, which we don't really get because of you know this is a hero book, not a villain book. But no, I liked it. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that I think that these backups really are. They're quite enjoyable. I, because there's so much mystery in them, and we don't know how they connect to anything yet. Um, it's a little difficult to to quite figure out what's going on, but it's done quite well. I mean, I'm I'm still really impressed with how Rosenberg's managed to to get me hooked in because I really struggled with so many of his backups before. All right, so let's give Detective Comics 1051 a rating out of five Huntress Superman punches. Oh, goodness. Um, I don't know. Three, three and three quarters? Four? These are just really, really good stories. Like, these are good, amazing, solid stories. It's hard to... I don't know. I just all Any three scores seems too low. But I don't know if this was, like, a standout issue from the series. Only you can determine your score, though. Oh, tell me what I want. Tell me what I'm thinking. Ugh, I don't know. Three, three and three quarters. Okay. Three, seven, five. Um, Theo gave it a four and I'm also going to give it a four because I just really loved uh, seeing the story from Psycho Pirate. I love the way it deepened the story for me. I thought that was really cool. And that gives us uh, an average score of 3.92 and a mode of four. Let's move on to Detective Comics number 1052. Detective Comics number 1052, The Tower Part 6, written by Mariko Tamaki and artist Max Rayner. Detective Comics 1052 begins a long time ago in Gotham as Dr. Chase Meridian nearly falls off of a skyscraper as part of the Riddler's plan. But Batman saves her, leading her to trust him and his family. On day 19... Five days before everything goes to hell on day 24, Chase tries to give Mayor Nakano an update but can't reach him before she has to meet with Helena Bartonelli, 
once Huntress, now a voluntary inmate at Arkham Tower. However, in the middle of her session, Psycho Pirate passes out from exhaustion, and a viciously violent riot immediately breaks out among the other inmates. Dick Grayson, in disguise as a nursing aide, tries to break things up and defend himself. Dr. Ware wakes up Psycho Pirate, and the supervillain causes everyone in the building to fall asleep. Oracle, Batwoman, and Batgirl, Stephanie Brown, attempt to piece together what happened in their cave beneath the city, not believing Dr. Ware's claim of a gas leak. Batwoman's infiltration identity, Dr. Frau, receives a voicemail from Chase, hinting at the truth of Dr. Ware's con, but Dr. Ware also hears the voicemail, immediately fires Frau, and uses Psycho Pirate to force Meridian to call back and apologize. The Bat family hears Chase's reference to patients remembering tunnels in their dream and half-remembered movies, actually suppressed memories by Psycho Pirate, and decide to hone in on the party crashers HQ in those tunnels. Cass, Steph, and Kate take down an entire squad of the Crashers at their base and discover a huge supply of drugs supposedly being used at Arkham Tower. Helena tries to remember what happened, taunted by Anna Volshin, and we see under her bed the words, His hold is breaking, written in blood by a patient who is starting to remember. Addressing that last panel to start with, do you, why do you think Huntress, when she snaps out of it, writes, his hold is breaking? Does she know that it's Psycho Pirate, or does she just know someone is doing it? She might just know someone. I feel like if she knew it was Psycho Pirate, she would have written, written initials or something. Um, she might even think that it's where, um, and whatever he's doing. I don't think I got the impression that she knows that it's Psycho Pirate. Because even when she's, like, trying to remember, she's not trying to remember a name or a person. She's just like, I, w- I need to remember this moment. Um, well, I could, I, feel like- I could imagine that maybe Psycho Pirate, to most effectively do mass mind control, has to meet with everyone individually to get, you know, a sense of their mind so he can fit it into, like, a category. That is possible. And, and they do forget things do we ever have a, a a moment where we say that a patient goes to meet dr ocean no dr ocean i think is always at conferences well we know that for for batwoman when she's trying to meet it but does do they ever say that i went to go see dr ocean like a patient i don't think so yeah i don't remember that either so but i could definitely see that happening off panel so like it could be she knows it's Psycho Pirate, but it could also just that she recognizes that some mind has been controlling hers. Yeah. I don't know. It just struck me as we were thinking about um, the, the summary that it seems like, obviously, we know his means Psycho Pirate, but does Huntress know? So, right. yeah. A very, a very intriguing cliffhanger to end on. Um, do you like the heavy nods to Batman Forever with Chase being trapped by the Riddler for dating Riddler's girlfriend? And do you think that particularly matters? Um, so instead of being interested nope. in Batman, she'll be interested in Batwoman. Didn't like it. I mean, I don't care about the Batwoman thing, but I did not like the reference. And Oh, man, I thought it was hilarious. No. It was great. The, the more I can forget that movie, the better. Oh, man, that movie is not nearly as bad as Batman and Robin, though. This is true. This is true, but... I know Stella will be very angry if she ever hears me say that, but I like Batman Forever a lot more than Batman and Robin. Oh, because Batgirl is in Batman and Robin? She really loves Batman and Robin. Like, she did a whole commentary and thinks it's great. Listen, I actually... So, I I don't hate those movies. I I hate that one. It makes my head hurt. (laughs) I I maybe played up a little bit for for radio. <laughs> but for entertainment's sake. As a teenager, like I did love them. I totally had a crush on on what's his butt as Robin. Val, oh, totally. uh Chris O'Donnell. Uh, Chris O'Donnell. I mean, that's why they um, chose him. That's true. They knew they knew their audience. I fell for it. But uh, I just think Val Kilmer and Nicole Kidman were so cringy. Like especially coming off of the Catwoman previous movie. It's just it bothered me. I, I mean, that's that's that. totally fair. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember if I saw Forever before or after Returns. But I just really hate Batman Returns because I know it's you do. so fetishy and it makes me uncomfortable. I like fetishes. Okay. 
<laughs> Moving on I'm from... I'm the king shamer. <laughs> I am. I will shame all you. Okay. So. Oh, and I guess I should answer. I like it. I, I like Batman Forever. I like Chase Meridian. I think this is fun. Uh, and I like the fact that it's not outright stated, but that is a big question mark. So if you're paying attention, you can see it's Riddler and it's a reference, but it's not like in your face. So I thought it was fun. Does the repetition of the riot and the fight from last issue, this time being from Chase's perspective, feel like a good or bad choice in terms of storytelling? Um, I think it was good. Like, you're getting, again, a different perspective of a same scene to me is not a waste of space. Unless it's just, you know, there's no... If, if no new information or or storytelling progression is is given then yeah it's kind of lame but in this one we see oh she actually communicated they have a chance of understanding what happened i don't know i really liked it yeah definitely i mean they're definitely doing a thing i don't know if it's been every issue but this last issue from psycho pirates perspective and then this issue from trace meridian's perspective each you know give a piece of the story moving it forward a little bit but also going slightly backwards to give extra pieces that we missed from the previous perspective. So it's like each issue is from someone's point of view. You know, in TV shows, they used to do day-in-the-life episodes. Uh, They don't do that anymore because everyone's forgotten how to write TV shows, but um, (laughs) these comics are giving us sort of uh, day-in-the-lives from different characters' perspectives, and I really like that. Um, Speaking of which, uh, other than the fact that you don't like uh, Batman Forever, how do you feel about Chase Meridian in this issue? Oh, she's great. No, no, I do love her. Um, I like that she's a bad ally, even if she doesn't realize that that's how she's being, even though she's fully, like, officially signed on as a bat helper. Yeah. No, I love it. Agreed. I think it's really good to have civilian characters again. This, this run of Detective has fleshed out, uh, the civilian side of, of Gotham more than anything in like a decade. It's ridiculous how rich this Gotham feels again with all these civilian characters. I think I think it's really great. Do you think that the Bat family taking on the party crashers, because it was a really easy fight. They just walk in and beat them yeah. all down. Does that feel like um, a necessary part of the story or kind of a distraction? I'm not sure right now. It seems a little... Huh. Which is why I'm very glad that the fight was so quick and they took them down pretty. Although I guess hold on, it was one, two, three, it's like three or four pages. It's not it's too long. three pages. It's not too long, and the fight is short. And I think they even point that out. They're like, actually, I'm not quite. I don't actually understand what Steph says here. You want it to be harder than it is. Is she referring to something earlier? Because maybe I didn't catch that. Anyway, I think that she's talking about how Cass <laughs> likes to have more of a challenge, or like Inigo Montoya. Uh, okay. fighting left-handed too sure but uh it might just be telling it it might just be three pages saying that that uh, uh what's his what where is pulling another con and this is just the the where the other half of the drugs are going <laughs> um and maybe uh oh oh it's it's it might be uh just emphasizing why he's on a time limit like he needs this money from Tamaki so he can get the crap out of Dodge because he is in trouble on all sides. Yes. Um, yeah, he's basically trying to get as much money from everyone he can and then just beat it. So he's trying to scam Penguin, the Party Crashers, and Nakano, which is hilarious because he's in so much trouble. He's in so much trouble. But we all know he's going to die and it's not even going to be any of those guys who kill him, so it's irrelevant. I, I mean, the Party Crashers are... I like that they're not like a super hardcore villain. I mean, we have enough hardcore villain gangs in like the Court of Owls and Penguins gang and all these guys. So having a a gang that's causing trouble but isn't too hard to beat is kind of nice because it gives yeah. sort of a, an easy villain to beat early on and then you can build your way up. If everything's super hard all the time, it just gets a little annoying. It is. So that was fun. Seeing the Bat Family in action is super fun. Um and I think that is probably going to... The, the Party Crashers, being a fairly incompetent gang, will probably lead the Bat Family further into the mystery. They'll be like the weak link in the chain that gets the Bat Family more involved. So I, I think it is kind of an essential part of the narrative. Let's move on to our backup summary, unless you have some questions. Uh, no, I think we discussed things I questioned. All right. 
Story 2, House of Gotham, Part 6, written by Matthew Rosenberg and artist Fernando Blanco. The boy and his dangerous and rich friend, Elliot, eat ice cream at one of Penguin's establishments when Jason, robber number two in civilian disguise, approaches probing for information. Elliot flashes a huge wad of bills and tells Jason that they kill people for the gangster. Jason reports his findings to Batman, who orders Jason to stay away as the kids have seen his face and goes into the iceberg lounge as matches Malone, just as Elliot blackmails the boy into helping him rob Penguin's secret office. Batman attacks, and the boy uses Penguin's escape tunnel to flee, trapping Penguin in with Batman. But Robin confronts him, having knocked Elliot out, and knocks the boy out too when he tries to shoot Robin. The boy wakes up, realizing there has been more than one Robin, and is taken away by the police, screaming about Batman creating an army of boys. Do you like the consistency of Fernando Blanco's art in this, or does it not make a difference? Because, you know, Yvonne Reese did the first four issues, and now Max Rayner's doing the next four issues in the main story. But Fernando oh. Blanco's been consistent. So do you like that, or does it not matter? Oh, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Fair enough. I really <laughs> like it, but... It's, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's This is such a different story, and the art style is so different that that... I guess I don't connect the first story. Like, when I read the backup, I'm not thinking about the first story so much. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, I mean, we're so far in the past from the, the yeah. main story. Yeah. Uh, but and I, as of now, we can't even see how it relates. So Correct. Like, just thinking how the previous story was told is not on my mind when I'm reading this story. Yeah, I agree. But I, I like it when you are able to keep an artist. I, I'm always sad when an artist who starts a story is not able to finish the story. Which is sadly going to be the case here. I mean, I think that I'm going to like all the artists who work on this story, but I, I wish they would do like Yvonne Reese does the first three issues and then he does the last issue. And that just kind of gives it a, a more complete feeling. But they've, DC has not done this in forever. Like they didn't do it for Batman Eternal, they didn't do it for Batman and Robin Eternal. They they just haven't done it. The one time they did do it, actually, they had Eddie Barrows do the first few issues of Detective Comics by Tynan, and then he came back to the last issue. And I loved that, because it's exactly what I wanted. But that's the one example. They haven't done it in anything else. Okay. Uh, uh, so we're starting to see uh, an interesting new pattern, which is we're seeing the history of the Bat family. We're moving forward in time. So we saw uh, Dick Grayson Robin uh, a couple issues ago, and now we see Jason Robin in this one. Um, how, how do you like that? Do you think that's uh, an interesting concept to you, or is it just didn't register? Where did we see Jason? Or where did we see Dick? He was a couple issues ago, near the beginning. In this one? Oh. In, in this uh, backup story, yeah. I thought it was Jason the whole time. No, 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 no. Because remember, he he knows that this is a new Robin. He knows that it's a different Robin than the Robin he met before. No, I think he means while he was in the tunnel. Like, he has the interaction with with Jason in the tunnel and Batman's whole thing was he's seen your f real face now don't talk don't interact with him so I think Jason's like either hired another teenage boy to dress up in the costume or something to I, I don't think that Dick's involved in this one um. I think that would be too fast of a changeover because that would only be a few months in this boy's life for Dick to be a child and become Nightwing and then for Jason to come in. I don't think that makes sense timeline-wise. I think this is just some rando that Jason's hired so that the boy is confused and he doesn't, Jason doesn't get in trouble with Batman. I'm pretty sure the Robin we see at the end is, is actually Jason. Like, the art makes it really hard to tell. It does very much look like the same guy, but I think that what he's talk, what, what the redhead boy is talking about is this is not the guy that knocked me out. Because he's upset about it in this moment when the cops are taking him away. He's not upset about Robin when he tries to shoot him. Let me look at what Jason's hair looks like without the costume. He's got the weird little fringe thing. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not convinced we've seen Dick. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure we have not seen Dick. Let me double check. First issue has Jason. Not Jason. Has Joker... It's the episode. It's the issue where the the scarecrow takes the other children to attack, which I think is like the third backup. 
I was pretty sure we saw Dick, but I could be wrong. I think we talked about that because I thought it was Dick, and then and you guys were like, no, he's too much of an ass. That's Jason. So we do see Robin in issue 1050. Okay, I guess um, it's open to interpretation. I think my interpretation is that the Robin in 1050 is Dick, and then the Robin in 1052 is Jason, and that's why he recognizes that they're different. I would agree that it takes a while, but at the end of 1050, the boy is poisoned, so we could theorize a significant amount of time for recovery, and then he gets adopted by the penguin. He still looks really young, though. Yeah, but artists are really bad at doing ages. Mm. Isn't Dick like 18 when he leaves? That's an excellent point. <laughs> Eight, yeah, like significant amount of time Dick was with Batman. Yeah, I would say that they should have, if that was Dick, they should have made him a lot older. Correct. I don't um, think. I th- Because, I think, wait, wait, in this issue, I'm pretty sure he does say something significant. Because Batman says, don't go near him again. He's seen your face IRL. And Jason's right. like, well, whatever. And then he confronts the boy. And so not to get in trouble with Batman, he swaps himself out. He's either hired some kid and put him in a costume or or he's done, borrowed some of Bruce's. Oh, no, I guess if he's younger now, then. So it says, so, so he says, the boy says, He's younger than me. He used to be older than me. So I read that as being the Robin he saw in 1050 was older. And they just didn't draw him as old as they should have. And now Jason is younger. So that's how I'm reading it. I can definitely see what you're saying, but that's how I'm reading it. Possibly. Except. I do agree. They definitely should have drawn Dick uh, significantly older looking. It's that was Dick. I say it's Dick. I I interpret it as Dick. If you think that it's... I just think that Jason hiring someone to be a different Robin feels a little... It doesn't sound Jason-y to me. Hiring someone to do something illegal to deceive someone? Totally sounds like Jason. (laughs) I don't think he's got that much forethought. Okay. Anyway, so listeners, please tell us what you think. (laughs) What you think is going on. Is Steph correct that Jason is hiring people to be Robin? Am I correct that Dick should have just been drawn older in 1050? Or is a third option that neither of us have thought of true? So let's give our rating out of five Riddler cranes for Detective Comics 1052. Four. I really like this one. I loved the moment of Huntress riding with her own blood under the bed. I love Chase getting the message through and the Bat family getting it and starting to figure things out. I I, I loved the psycho pirate stuff. This, this, this was a good issue. I really like this issue. And the backup's good. Yeah, I also gave it a four. I don't... I think if I had reread... 1051 right before reading this i might have given it like a 375 but i i mean i can't do that on the on the site so i gave it a four um and i will not change my vote um just because i have reevaluated because i do think this is a really excellent issue both backup and um main story so that gives us a total score of four and a mode of four as well so very exciting there Whether you are a first-time TBU Comics podcast listener, a 13-year veteran, or anything in between, we'd love to hear what you think about this episode or any of the comics we discussed. Send emails to tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. Join our Discord server linked at thebatmanuniverse.net. Send us a tweet at tbu underscore comics. Or, if you're a patron, leave us a comment on our Patreon page. We'd also love it if you left us a review on iTunes. We'd love to read your comments on the next episode of the Batman Universe Comics Podcast. Batman may claim he works alone, but we know that he needs the Bat Family. Join the TVU Bat Family and let us know what you think. And now we come to our third review, Batman number 120. This is written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Jorge Molina and Mikel Hanin. We begin in Bodnesia, as Detective Kaya wheels out a sealed body bag from the police station. She tells the police chief that it's the body of Abyss, and she's rushing it over to Lex Luthor. Once inside a police van, Batman cuts through the bag. He tells Kaya that he needs somewhere dark where he can heal up and examine his eyes, which were blinded by Abyss in the last issue. At the LexCorp building in Bodnesia, Luthor threatens the police chief with losing funding if officers aren't sent to protect LexCorp within the hour. 
As Lex mulls over the situation, the lights go out. Lex quickly activates his new power suit, which is a bat suit he designed for Bruce Wayne, should Bruce have taken Lex's offer from the last issue. Abyss attacks, but Lex is ready. At Detective Kaya's apartment, Bruce takes off his mask and sits in the darkness. He tells Kaya that he believes Abyss is still alive. Kaya deduces that Batman is trusting her because she has a personal stake in capturing Abyss. Batman figures that his next move is to find out why Batman Inc. tried to kill Abyss. As Kaya stitches Bruce up, she tells him that the members of Batman Inc. are in a prison built by Lex Luthor. As Man of Baths, El Gaucho, Batman of China, Dark Ranger, and The Hood are moved to solitary confinement, their escort is halted and cast in darkness. Batman has arrived, and he orders them to the roof so they can debrief Bruce on the Abyss situation. The Hood refuses to go anywhere with Batman, despite Batman telling them all that Abyss isn't dead. When Batman asks the members of Batman Inc. why they would work with Lex Luthor, they merely tell him that Lex gave them a mission. When Batman presses, they attack him. Detective Kaya serves as Bruce's eye, Batman's eyes as he deflects their blows. Prison security arrives and Batman and Batman Inc. flee to the roof. Lex Luthor arrives flying his Batsuit. For some reason, Luthor is the only person or object that Batman can see. When he demands to know why the newly freed members of Batman Inc. finally reveal why they did what they did. They all work for Abyss, and they're going to kill Lex Luthor. Abyss stands at the forefront of a united Batman Inc. Uh, So first question, what do you think about the idea of superior Batman to take on uh, a Marvel term of superior Spider-Man, where Dr. Octopus took over Peter's body for years and years? Um, for a significant period of time, uh, a minimum of about six issues is what I would say. Otherwise, it's just like a one-off. What's the question? What do you think about the idea of Lex taking over Batman? Oh, is he doing that? Well, I don't know. We've been joking about it. Oh, um, that, that would suck because Lex Luthor is stupid <laughs> and boring. And I never understand what his motivation is other than... Money, power. Being the center of attention. Hearing himself talk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lex, Lex is probably my least favorite character of all time. Really? Yes. Okay, fair. Um, I personally don't think it's going to happen. I do think it's a fun joke because, of, as I said, the Spider-Man thing. But I don't think it's going to happen. I do hope that they don't... I mean, Batman's center of gravity is way too big right now in terms of how they're trying to connect everything to Batman. Uh, and there's so many Batman books. Mm-hmm. Um, Lex Luthor is a Superman villain, and I think he should stay a Superman villain. Yeah. But I do think it's a fun thing every now and then to do this. I just don't think he should become, like, a main character no. in Batman. No, for sure. Like, it's it's fine for him to, like, maybe lower his standards a bit instead of trying to be, like, an alien superhero, try to be someone who's like him and just has a lot of money. But, you know, he's still not... He has no originality. He just wants... He's kind of like... Oh, who's the baddie right now in, in, in Harley Quinn? Like, the... Steel Master, the copycat, trademark master, whatever it is. Anyway, he just steals everyone's bits, and that's what Lex is. He just he has no originality. He just steals everyone else's crap and is boring. All right. Does the art feel more uniform to you in this issue? Because we had three artists last issue and just two artists again this issue. Well, I guess. I mean, I just noticed how awesome Janine's art is, like or Janine, whatever. Like, the art was just awesome. And if we can get two awesome artists in one issue, that's fine. It was the art was really cool. Lex's back suit actually looks really. I would say the way Lex looks in the glow up bat suit is actually really awesome. Yeah, it was a cool design. It was um, very cool. I note. I mean, I do notice when the artists shift, and I definitely noticed last issue. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that they cut the number of artists down. <laughs> I do think they're both doing excellent jobs. I just um, I kind of wish they would just get one. I don't know why they need to. Why do you think that Batman Inc. is following Abyss? Uh, and does the question engage you? Um, no. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm also ba- going to say no. It doesn't engage me. <laughs> well, I don't know Batman Inc. Like, I have no emotions in this pony race, or however that phrase is. Well, the problem uh, is they haven't done anything to get you to know them. Like, they, yeah. the only thing they do is fight and, like, stand around. Like, Batman but Inc. I mean, like, is full of characters. Yeah, like their original incarnations, I know very little about them. Yeah, but I feel so. like a, if a story uses a character that hasn't been used in a while, it should get you to care about them by yeah. actually using them. This isn't a use, yeah. they're just on the page. It's like they cut and pasted the characters yeah. rather than doing it. It could have been anyone. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, not 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 super impressed with that. Yeah. So I mean the fact that it's not engaging us means that I just I don't have any real sense of why they haven't given us any yeah. motivations for anything they do. And when it's like, we're working with the baddie to kill Lex, I was like, well, yeah, who wouldn't? Because like, <laughs> Lex is terrible. There's, Lex a whole, is terrible. there's a whole miniseries by Tom King about this right now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's not that, I don't know, shocking or exciting. All right, so let's get to the backup, indeed. Uh, this is They Make Great Pets, part two of three, by writer-artist Carl Kershaw. Sometime in the past... Maps Mizuguchi finds a little frog-like creature called a kappa floating in a dirty harbor. Maps picks it up and rushes the kappa home. In the present, Batman battles a horde of kappa underwater. He fends them off, then resurfaces just in time to hear Maps calling him over the calm. She tells Batman about kappa, citing details of note about their physiology and appearance. Batman informs uh, Maps informs Batman that Kappa loved cucumbers, and Lindsay's bedroom had cucumbers all over the place. When Batman doesn't answer, Maps asks the Batmobile for his location and details on any physical damage he might have overgone. She then sets out to rescue him. In the sewers, Batman plunges deeper into this mystery. Coming across the body of a woman, he's attacked by more Kappa who bite and tear at him. Maps arrives just in time with cucumbers. As Maps leads Batman to safety, Batman notes that the body belongs to Emily Corker, who has been missing for a couple days. As they exit a sewer, a girl's voice calls to Maps from out of the darkness. So. I don't think that's Maps at the beginning. Yeah, that's I think a it's a little boy. It's a little boy named Hikaru. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I think that's actually important because I think that that little boy probably brought, because it seems like yeah. he was getting on a boat. I think he brought them to Gotham and they've yeah. been hiding out in the sewers. Like, that's if you my look in the, Yeah, yeah, that was me too. Because if you look in the back, there's a guy wearing a hat that no one would wear today. Like, that's an old, like, 50s, 60s hat. I think they're just immigrants, and he he uh, did not claim the live animal he brought with and uh, destroyed the local ecosystem. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, an, invasive, an invasive... Invasive species. Species. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So, first question. Best story or best story? Best story! Best story! I don't think it was as... Like, the storytelling wasn't as... Wait, hold on. Maybe I'm wrong. Just kidding. Never mind. I forgot that... No, no. We're good. I didn't... I, I forgot that there was still um, D&D play in this one. Oh, yes. The talking and to the computer on the, in the yes. back. That was awesome. <laughs> Got ex- information from extremely unhelpful NPC. <laughs> <laughs> so good yes. so good I so the question I mean we just sort of talked about it a little bit does the monster nature of the story make it feel unusual in Gotham or does it fit right in I think monsters in the sewer is on par for Gotham okay it, it felt a little odd to me just because I think of Gotham as a bit more grounded but I mean then I think like Clayface and Killer Croc and like, these things are actually very silly. I'm just used to them. Yeah. No, no. But I think anytime we're in the sewers, things get weird. And usually it's like Clayface or Croc weird, but, you know, whatever. It's Gotham. Yes. And technically this is, like, in the country. So <laughs> anything could happen if you've ever been to the country. <laughs> I see. Um, do you think there will be a villain in this story or just misunderstood monsters and perhaps a human who's helping them? Oh, I don't know. I just, I was okay with invasive species. <laughs> I, um, do you think the friend is helping? Well, obviously the friend has so many no, cucumbers, so it feels like true. maybe she, you know, accidentally helped the species and there was a misunderstanding. Yeah, that's very possible. I, I hope that it doesn't get that. too dark because, you know, this is a Gotham Academy story, so. Yeah. I don't think it will. Yeah, I think I, you're probably I, right. I think I think it's, yeah, you're probably right. I actually had not even thought about that. It's probably the friend loving on the little lizard Little frog creatures. man. Coppas. Little frog man. Coppas. All right. So let's give Batman number 120 a rating out of five cucumbers. Uh, the art was great. The backup was great. I don't think that the the writing's not cringy. There's some books where I just struggle so much to just get through 
reading it. This is just boring. Uh, gosh, a score. Three only because of the backup and the art. I'm going to say 3.5, which is a full point higher than I'd rate the main story, um, because I think the backstory is really, really great. And I would say that the art is is quite good um, for the main story. I just... I I was so excited to see Batman Inc. again, but I'm just seeing them. I'm not actually getting any character from them, which is what I liked. Like, just showing me the costume is not using a character, DC. BH, I mean, they might as well be the village people for all they've done and the way they look. <laughs> yes. So that gives us, uh, on the website, Scott gave this issue a three as well. Uh, that gives an average of 3.17 and a mode of three. So... Let's get to Greater Gotham. Our ratings for Greater Gotham are going to be thumbs up, thumbs down, neutral, or abstain. So starting with Batman Catwoman, number 10. Clayman is back, drawing horny art as ever. I'm so confused about this book. Thumbs up, but this is no longer a Batman Catwoman book. This has been a Catwoman book for a while, and now it's a Catwoman Joker book, but I, I think, think it's still thumbs up. I, I'm really liking it. Definitely a thumbs up. Yeah. I do agree that it doesn't have enough Batman, though. Yeah. Um, Urban Legends number 12. This is four stories. You've got the second part of our Batman Satana story by Vita Ayala and Nicola Sismesija. I'm sure that's wrong. Ram V's White Witch, part two of three. Uh, Eternity by Mohel Mashigo and Dane. And then part two of Ace the Bat Hound by Mark Russell and Carl Mostert. So the first story is just stupid in general. Not, And I'm not saying that as like an anti-Zatanna, even though I am totally anti-Zatanna Batman. But Batman would never, ever, ever just play with magic because Zatanna wants to and she likes him. And they have a fling sometimes. Like, that is a completely irresponsible use of magic. And I think Batman is more, more, whatever. He's more of a fuddy-duddy than that. So, I don't, the whole premise is just stupid. And I had hope for this story because, because, what's his name, Clementine? Oh, Covenant Constantine Constantine shows up so there was hope but then he was only at the very beginning and at the very end and so it didn't matter but this story sucks and the the White Witch story is actually very cool but the art is very strange and then the I Talk to Dead People one is just weird and then the dog one was actually really cute I did not like the first installment I really liked the second installment of the story but all in all the book is a thumbs down it's not worth your money Especially since it's an $8 book. Yeah, it's it's not worth it. I'm also giving you a thumbs down. I do think that the White Witch story is intriguing, but I'm not a huge fan of the art. And I don't like any of the other stories. And I'm not actually necessarily against Batman Zatanna. I just don't like the stories at all. It's That's when I was talking about, like, cringy to get through. That's the story I was thinking of. I could barely read it. Like, I just, I didn't care. And I didn't want to read it and there was so much jibber jabbering about nonsense i was like i don't care why are they talking so much i don't care Ugh. yeah i am batman number six our first main adventure in new york it's fine neutral i guess um i'm really torn i want to give this a thumbs down because i am just losing interest moving yeah. jace to to new york is such a terrible choice if you want us to actually care uh it's not even greater gotham you know it's new york now um <sighs> on a pure craft level it's good enough so i'm gonna have to raise it to a neutral but i just i'm not <laughs> enjoying this yeah uh back rolls number three uh, i have to give it a thumbs down and i have three i have three reasons okay there's still too many villains there's like literally six villains in this book correct if you count the if you count the group as three of them as as three uh, Stephanie is stupid. Like, they diagnosed villain number two as having fear toxin. But instead of fun finding some kind of breathing apparatus, she keeps going in without any kind of breathing apparatus, and then she gets sad that she got mind swiped. It's like, well, yeah, you went into fear toxin without a gas mask on. That's how that works. And then, what was the third one? 
something irritated me again. And the third reason. I promised Theo. I promised Theo three things. What was it? Hold on. I wrote them down somewhere, but now I don't remember what they were. And then... I don't even, oh, right. So the art. The art does not bother me the way it bothers Theo. I actually do enjoy a bit of a cartoony style. That doesn't bother me. But in this issue in particular, half the time in the fights, I did not know what was going on. I, I had a hard time understanding how certain people escaped or things that they did. The art made it very difficult to follow. So that for those three reasons, I give this issue a thumbs down. Um, I actually think point three is very fair. A lot of people have pointed out the fight choreography in this one, especially the fight between Cass and Tudor, was yeah. difficult to tell what's going on. Uh, I don't think it's as difficult, but I definitely agree it's not nearly as good as uh, certainly the fight that opened number two. Um, and I definitely hope that they work on the choreography and just making sure everything's clear. So I'll give you point three. Um, point one, I agree there's a ton of stuff going on. I enjoy there being that much stuff going on. I just hope... I mean, to me, it's it's very early to say there's too much because it depends on how long they keep the plate spinning. So three issues doesn't seem too long for me to have all these plates spinning. If they're still spinning all the plates by issue six, then I'll definitely agree with you. But I think that Lots of Villains is fun. Because uh, they're building a world for the Batgirls after a long time of them being neglected. And I think that the villains themselves are interesting. I think that they're not all the same. So Seer has different motivations than the Saint, who has different motivations from the serial killer, who has different motivations from Tudor. Like, they're all different. So it doesn't feel like... For example, the Batgirl of Burnside, where every villain felt like some variation of using tech powers to be goofy. And point two, I would say that Stephanie is being, is operating definitely not at 100%. Uh, I would say that it's because she came, she just came out of mind control and she was just trying to strike back. The third time, though, was a completely different time. I don't know. I feel like. Oh, are you talking about it at the art sh art show? Yes. Um. Because at that point, it's like you've already you've been bitten twice. Now it's shame on you. Well, I do think that the Batgirls are not planning ahead as much. I think they should have spent a lot more time trying to figure out how Tudor is exercising mind control. Mm -hmm. Um. But I'd say that's on all the Batgirls. Uh, and I yeah. also would like to know how Cass is immune because if they just say Cass is just immune, yeah. that's annoying. Yes. But yes. Um, to me, I really liked the character interactions. I really like how Steph is feeling really down. I mean, the thing is, you can always say what Babs and Cass are good at. Cass is really good at fighting because of her whole upbringing. And uh, Babs has made herself into Oracle, which is, you know, the greatest at technology, surveillance and planning. Steph is a Batgirl who improvises and has always struggled in the shadow of the former two Batgirls. And so I appreciate the way that they have her struggle with that and the way that Babs and Cass are trying to support her. And I think, based on interviews, that they are going to, to develop that. So I think this is a place where Steph has lived on her own for basically like two years. I don't know if it's actually two years in comics, but she's been on her own for a long time. Um... And now she's in uh, a much more family-type relationship than she has been in just years. And so she's feeling safe enough to fail and then try and figure out who she is instead of always putting on the, the tough front that she had to when she was on her own. So that's how I'm reading the, the journey of the characters. I could be totally wrong, but I think that that is how I see it going. And again, it's all dependent. We're just on issue three, and it's all dependent on where the, the arc goes and the, the whole series goes. So if Steph ends up just staying in this, you know, kind of reactive space and she's not developing, I'll definitely agree with you. I just think it's too early for me to say, I think this is bad. And I wanted to share how I was reading it. So still a thumbs up for me. Future State Gotham number 10. I don't know why I like this book so much, but I really, really like it. Thumbs up. I don't know why. I think I just really love Jason, Jason. And... I don't know. I'm totally digging this book. Well, I'm glad you are, because I'm not, and I have to write reviews for it. I'm thumbs downing it all oh. the way. I'm so tired of this book. Poor Ian. They promised me that it was going to be all the Bat Family, and it has just been Jason and the Bat, the new Batman for ten issues. Come on. <laughs> Dick gets one page. He does. 
Come on. He's doing drugs. I I just, I was promised something and I feel like I'm not getting it. And maybe if I had a better expectation, I would. But I feel like, no, thumbs down. I feel like I was lied to. (laughs) And we're going to end, hopefully, on a positive note with the Joker number 12. Um, yeah, definitely thumbs up. <laughs> the cannibals didn't feature so much in this issue, so that was good for me. <laughs> and, oh, we got the big reveal of who the silent partner is. For and who the big the planner was, too. Makes this a really intriguing three-way game of cat and mouse with Jim Gordon, the Joker, and someone else who I'm going to bet is Bane. I think I think Bane was with our friend at the mansion. Simon yeah, I thought no, no, with, with the lady, the god, yeah. the god guy. Oh, I'm yeah, the the rich lady. Yes, this is definitely a thumbs up. I am still loving the series. This this reveal, you know, keeps the keeps the story going. I still think that the punchline backups are fun. Uh, definitely more about the main story though, but the the backups don't bring it down. So thumbs up. Uh, we don't have any listener feedback. Hopefully we'll get some more this time with our controversial takes on the backup <laughs> in Detective. <laughs> I would like to read our uh, Patreon support. Uh, everyone who supports at a certain level gets their name read. We also have, of course, affiliate links to nerdy stores like Lego, Amazon, Comixology, etc. But these people support the Batman universe at a certain level, and we thank them. So Lisa Slack, Ian Miller, Gerald Green, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, Ta- Rob O., Tim Garassi, Robert Lewis, Stephanie Mounts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Stanton's Grave, Donald Townsend, Ed Krause, Captain America, Mary Garrett, Austin Davis, Johnny McCloskey, Cesar Diaz, Jessica Morales, David Richards. Thank you all for supporting. You help us keep our archives on the web, and hopefully lots of people going through the history of Batman can listen to this great podcast all the way back to about 2010. I want to thank all of our listeners for staying with us, and I hope that you will join us again next time. My name is Ian. This is Steph. And we'll see you next time.